Welcome to the Alice in Wonderland podcast. I'm Georgia Alice and thank you for joining me as I tumble down another rabbit hole. Today, I'm exploring the intersection of creative expression and tech with Topha Sipes. So Topher is a virtual reality art director, illustrator, designer and performance artist in Austin, Texas. He mixes analog methods with virtual drawing and sculpting tools spatially to communicate visually through XR applications, fabricated materials, web and print media. He has worked with Google, AT&T, Smart Car and the Houston Symphony. He has studied with the Flow Genome Project and has a BFA in communication design from Texas State University. He has worked professionally in public art, fabrication design, graphic design, projection performance and environmental interpretation. And I'm really excited to be here with Topher because um, I'm really loving navigating and exploring where technology and creativity can actually merge. So let's get curious. Welcome Topher. Thank you, Georgia. It's good to be here. Excellent. Now I'm going to I'm going to kick off with a question that I ask all of my guests guests so that our listeners can get a an understanding of who you are and what you do. So I'd love for you just for a moment to imagine that you are in Wonderland. Lewis Carroll's famous Wonderland and you're you're there doing your thing and along comes 7-year-old Alice and she bumps into you. And she says, what are you doing here in Wonderland? What's your purpose? What do you, what do you do in this world that we share? How would you answer what you are doing and your passion, your purpose to a seven-year-old child? Hmm. There's three things that come to mind. First and foremost, I'd say that, well, Ellis, my body is a dancing paintbrush inspired by music to create sculptures made of light. Secondly, I remind people that they have the power to give themselves permission to create. And third, I show people how to remember their dreams. Wow. And a seven-year-old is going to sit there and, and light up with those, those three answers, those three aspects of what you do. So what I'd love to do is get really curious and unpack each of them. So hopefully we have time to do this. So the first one is absolutely amazing and piqued my interest around how you create your art through, I can't remember your exact words, through movement. So talk to us about how that came about, how you got into that industry and what it is that you do and how it works. Absolutely. So I've been drawing for as long as I can remember. And I never stopped drawing, I kept going. 
And I think I'm a good example of what, what's possible if one continues to draw instead of being discouraged to stop for whatever reason. And I was interested in animation and video game design growing up. Those were some inspiring points of interest. I studied briefly with um, a few animators. I got to meet my uh, idol for, for some time, uh, Chuck Jones. He was a, a Warner Brothers animator who uh, directed a number of Looney Tunes cartoons, like uh, he created the Wile E. Coyote, Roadrunner, um, Marvin the Martian, the big red monster that gets manicures, uh, that hangs out with Bugs Bunny, um, did the animated How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Uh, anyway, I got to, got to meet him and he gave me an art lesson at one of his studios in Long Beach, California growing up. That was pretty monumental. And then also studied with um, Harvey Williams who worked on Rocky and Bullwinkle series, the Raid Roach commercials, um, uh, the Smurfs and a number of other projects. And um, I got to take some cartoon drawing classes from him. And then he, um, I took some private lessons and then eventually he asked me to be his teacher's assistant for those same cartoon drawing classes. So my first job as a teenager paid under the table uh, was showing other kids how to draw cartoons. So I continued these uh, drawing practices and eventually kind of um, became less interested in animation and got into graphic design and illustration because I wanted to, um, it was basically a step of how to combine my analog hand skills with digital software skills. And uh, a big moment for me was when, and I'm, for those who can't see, I'm actually holding up a digital drawing tablet right now. It's kind of disappearing, but I'm also holding up a, a digital drawing stylus as well. And it's connected to my computer. And when I got, tried one of those for about a half an hour um, while in college, I realized, oh, this is a tool that I've been waiting for um, because now I'm able to much more rapidly color what I've been creating. And I was able to create my own custom brushes as well. Um, and so I was able to augment my analog skills pretty significantly, very quickly by learning how to use a digital drawing tablet. Um, so uh, after finishing my degree, I was designing theme parks and children's playgrounds for a while, full-time with the studio. Um, and that introduced me to thinking more spatially and in three dimensions and having to draft, um, say things like a a frog themed slide to scale from the front, the side, the top, the back, and so forth. And I started learning a little bit of 3D design at that point. That would come back later um, because around that time I was also introduced to um, creating to music, creating artwork to while, while listening to music and then be inspired to move with the music. And so um, some, a friend suggested I, I try doing this at, at their studio apartment with a projector. And next thing you know, I end up um, co-founding an immersive dance company called Art Theism, as if uh, art was its own religion, Art Theism, 
with um, another artist named Samantha Beasley, whose background is in dance. And basically I was using my digital drawing tablet initially and later a touchscreen to project abstract motion graphics onto her while she was dancing on stage. And it was almost like we were having a, an improvisational uh, contact improv conversation through light. And we did that for about five, six years and that opened up a whole bunch of creative doors I didn't know were possible during that time. I also opened up more to moving and dancing with my own body initially with a hula hoop. That was kind of my training wheel, literally, to become more confident and comfortable with dancing in general. And so um, to get to where we are now, come full circle, um, one of the one of the festivals, or sorry, the one of the conferences we had performed with, um, initially known as Voice and Exit, and later as Future Frontiers, um, we'd pre previously performed as Art Theism with them, and they asked me to come back and were curious if I would like to perform with virtual reality as an art form. And I said, absolutely. I've been wanting to do that. This is back in 2016 when some of the um, kind of the first wave of newly available commercial uh, consumer ready VR headsets were available. And I got to uh, put on a headset and I started to paint with light in three dimensions in a way that I had not before. And I realized that I can now trace um, exactly where my arm is moving in space. So I realized that you can now combine drawing, sculpture, and dance in a much more seamless way than ever before um, through basically motion, motion tracking. And I started to perform and um, integrate that technology much more into my creative pipeline ever since then. And so that's led to um, live performances with other musicians um, performing um, this year with the Houston Symphony and um, looking forward to taking that to other cities and possibly around the globe. So uh, that's a, a quick trip of how we got from there to here. Yeah, and I, I love that story. And what fascinates me is that I think for a lot of people who are sort of, you know, playing around with technology, especially the virtual reality, because I know you and I had a chat about 18 months ago about virtual reality and I reached out to you because I just wanted to know a little bit more around the process and what, what are the possibilities. And I think a lot of people potentially see virtual reality as a way to immerse yourself in a game or something like that, but you're really taking it to a next level. And I, I know that there are programs available. I don't know what it's called. I've had a play with it a couple of times in virtual reality where you, you get to draw um, 3D and what you're drawing, you can walk in and out and around it. And I totally loved it. It was really immersive. However, what I'm really excited about is what you're opening up the possibilities in relation to that creativity it's it's never going to be the same performance um, I don't think you could replicate and script what you're doing and do the same design you know if you take your show with the the Houston Symphony around the globe in Melbourne it's going to be different to Houston than it is to New York to London because it's very 
in the moment, I think. And that's, I think that's the appeal is that we get to see your creativity expressed differently every single time. And it's your interpretation of music space, etc. And um, just while we've got you, and I know that um, this is going to air more than likely after the event, but you are about to do a live stream of the of this performance with the Houston Symphony. So how did you've sort of spoken a little bit about that? How did that come about? And how do they how do they oh, I don't even know the word I'm looking for here? How how do they market something like that to to a community when people are just they're not used to someone on stage, you know, waving their arms and and creating beautiful pieces of art right there in front of them. Mm. So I have uh, a number of people today, specifically Leslie uh, Sable. I may be mispronouncing her name. I'm sorry if I am, but Leslie, um, she had tried virtual reality and specifically uh, like one of the creative applications such as Tilt Brush a few years back. And she knew that, oh, there's, there's something really powerful here that can be confined, combined with live music. And so that was an idea that stuck with her. And eventually by reference and word of mouth, uh, she was able to be in contact with me. And so um, she's been managing the popular programs uh, or pops uh, of the Houston Symphony. That's a little bit different than their um, more traditional portfolio of performances. So the pops include things such as um, uh, playing film music while the film is playing, for example, and um, let's say Star Wars, for example, or um, there may be acrobats on stage that are also collaborating and performing while the symphony is making music. So uh, the symphony already has these pops programs that are combining different art forms together. And so this is just the first time that they're integrating virtual reality into that as well. And it's also, I should mention that it's, it, is, um, it is a live stream show and it is also, uh, they have it adapted to the times and they do have uh, limited seating uh, for, uh, for in, they do in-person shows as well but it's a uh, significantly reduced seating. They have this, um, they follow some of the highest standards of what's known as the Houston Clean Initiative. Um, and they have regular testing for uh, the musicians and staff. And um, so they've, they've gone above and beyond um, as far as like put, uh, the practice of protocols go. So um, the Saturday night, uh, show will be the streamed show between it's February 13th and 14th. Beautiful around about time for Valentine's Day so yes <laughs> um, so I've got it I'm, I'm thinking about you Topher is you're about to go on stage and I'm assuming and correct me if I'm wrong that when you go on stage every performance will be different what is it or how do you prepare yourself to get into that creative zone to be able to really express what you're feeling and what's coming 
through you um, on the stage? Hmm. So it comes down to a lot of preparation um, and a lot of listening to the music beforehand. In fact, a lot of the the preparation um, and techniques that I'm using, I learned uh, with art theism years ago with Samantha, because in you earlier you were acknowledging how every show is different, and so every expressive, immersive experience is um, there's a, there's a rawness to it, and it's you're you're seeing it in this moment, and you'll you'll never see it like that again. So a lot of the techniques that we used in artheism, I'm, I'm porting over to this because now I'm making the art and I'm on stage simultaneously. And so thankfully I have a lot of um, practice uh, from working with artheism previously on stage. So um, the things that I be doing include listening to the music and starting on paper as well with my eyes closed is one of my favorite things to do is listening to the music, eyes closed, big piece of paper in front of me. And I move my hand on paper as if the paper was a dance floor and my hand is my full body. And the metaphor of treating a paper or a piece of canvas, or in this case, a, a VR space as a dance floor is something that has stuck with me consistently and has uh, been a re reliable space to create from. Mm -hmm. um, and in, in some senses, it's almost like um, when I was describing earlier my, my body as a dancing paintbrush to young Ellis, inspired by music to create sculptures made of light. Um, it's almost like a type of simulated synesthesia that's, that's happening. So, um, this also helps me to visualize what the what the song looks like from start to finish. And so I'll usually start on one side of the paper during the song and then finish on the other side, go from left to right or up or down. And that helps me to see the whole piece from a distance. And that gives me ideas of how to basically composite what I'm doing. Um, later on. So I start extremely abstract and, and get this, you know, raw jagged zigzags down uh, that vary in height before I go in there and actually put the headset on. So that's part of the process. Otherwise, um, a lot of uh, physical conditioning and, and stretching and, and breath work and uh, good sleep, you know, a lot of the basics and the foundations. Beautiful. Um, I want to ask you a question, but before I do, I'm noticing a little bit of like wind noise or something coming through your mic at the moment when you're talking. So I don't know if um, your mic is, I don't know. I'm hearing there's, something, some feedback coming back through it. There's a, there isn't, I think the AC may have just kicked in. Right. That might be it. Yeah, there's a little bit of noise coming through, but that's okay. Um, so what I'm, I'm listening to you talking about your preparation to go on stage and I'm thinking about our, our our listeners and when they have you know when we have challenges that we know we're about to to face your process sounds like a really good way to be able to sort of 
not solve a problem, but put us into a space to be able to be inspired and find solutions. I, I'm imagining myself, okay, I've got an issue, I'm, a challenge that I'm dealing with. I could put on some headphones, a blank piece of paper and just draw. I don't even have to all put words, whatever comes through. So um, yeah, I'm just wondering if there's a tool hidden along in amongst all that for people to, to tap into uh, what we call the information layer or the ether or their higher self. Do you find you get inspiration as you're doing that either live on stage or the, um, the prep work? Absolutely, absolutely. So there's, there's two things that, that are coming to mind here. Um, one is extremely practical and then the other one can lead in a variety of directions. So the, the practical one is um, using this, this technique to put on headphones and visualize some sort of composition or structure over time. Um, I've also used and have shown others how to use that technique. It's almost like a timeline sandwich, if you will. You see what, what different uh, ingredients you have at different parts of the timeline. So it can be used for, gosh, for video editing or for putting together a presentation or a talk to figure out what goes where. Um, but then more abstractly, it is a fantastic way to process difficult emotions. In fact, that's, that's something I have definitely used this technique at times when I feel very frustrated for whatever reason and put on a playlist and go ahead and draw, especially on a big piece of paper. Um, this is holding up a, an ebony pencil. This is it's one of my favorite tools to use that technique with. And it's not so much about creating a beautiful work of art. It's more about the process. And closing my eyes is, it's, a, it's also a way for others who maybe are not as uh, comfortable with a visual medium to get out of our own way and, and uh, keep from judging what we're doing during the time so we can focus more deeply on the process. Um, actually, I remember sharing this, this very tool um, with uh, a few folks from our uh, cohort from the Flow Genome Project, 1440. And it was always interesting to see how afterwards, when they opened their eyes, they'd look and see, noticing they could actually recognize different parts of the songs that they were listening to just by what it looked like. It looked, you know, from a distance, it looks like a bunch of scribbles, but when they look at the paper, they're like, oh, this is that part of the song. This is, and I was feeling this at this time, et cetera. Yeah. So I it's, love a, it's that absolutely I, I love accessible. That I, yeah, I love that idea. And I, I love it as a healing tool for when we are feeling those emotions that potentially don't serve us. It's almost like a way to release those emotions is whether you're putting music on or not. Music probably is a key part of it. You're the expert here. You probably say yes or yay or nay. Um, but then having that, that blank piece of paper and just expressing it and not judging how it's expressed because you are now releasing that emotion from you in a 
in a really productive way that doesn't mean that you have to go and talk to a psychiatrist psychologist and it means that you potentially may not need to um, you know go and have an argument with someone unless you feel you need to express something but it's a beautiful way to express uh, yeah what's going on on the inside but also the flip side of that is what you're saying it's also a beautiful tool to tap into your creative zone to potentially get answers as well so I think I think there's some really beautiful tips and tools for our listeners through what you've been exploring I like to call it ecstatic drawing. Oh, I love that. Or, ecstatic or, dancing, ecstatic drawing. Exactly, exactly. There's a reason I was talking about the paper as dance floor. Yeah. There's a, absolutely, or also known as expressive mark making. That's another way to describe yeah. it. So for our listeners, make a note of those, um, those tools and think about how you can deploy them in your own life for you either to tap into your creative zone or maybe release something that's not serving you. I want to circle back to, I think it was point three that you mentioned when you were talking to little seven-year-old Alice. I think you mentioned uh, around, you know, helping people believe in the possibility of their dreams. I can't, was it something along those lines was one of the mm. reasons you're here in, here in yes. Wonderland? Yes. How to remember their dreams. Ah, yeah. And I'll when I say, dreams. and when I say dreams, I'm speaking, uh, literally of the you know the phenom the phenomenon of dreaming while asleep yeah because okay. i've been documenting my dreams for a little over 16 years now and it it came at a time um when i was uh i was just kind of doing the bare minimum to get by in my education and just kind of wasn't uh, wasn't really putting much for very, you know, very much effort. And, um, and, you know, that kind of, I was, I was either drunk or high every day. And it was just kind of like a meh part of my life. And I ended up getting in trouble as a result. And I very quickly, uh, I got, I got sober. And little did I know how that would affect um, my, my sleep life pretty significantly. I, I would find out much later that um, THC tends to block REM sleep and tends to block our remembrance of dreams. And so my dreams just exploded and I started remembering so much more. And there were several dreams that I just couldn't ignore. And so I reached for, you know, like a receipt next to my bedstand and just had to write them down. And I just continued that practice. And over time started remembering more exponentially up to a certain point, started to lucid dream more often. And that is where I, one is able to realize that they're dreaming amidst the dream. And then do, in my case, you know, fulfill wishes or start uh, playing with different experiments in that space or um, starting to ask questions or make declarative statements to see what would happen. Um, it also led to um, overcoming unhealthy relationships to specific habits like, you know, uh, such as drug abuse or such as pornography or um, overcoming 
unhealthy relationships to people. It was, it's, it was almost like a type of biofeedback process and also emotional feedback process. And once I started documenting them regularly, I was able to more clearly see what I was ignoring in my waking life and to uh, inevitably live more lucidly as a result. I love that. Are you able to share any particular either question that you asked while lucid dreaming and how that played out or what sort of experiments you had or any of any of your continual messages that you ignored and then you saw the patterns and then you made a change in your life. It was almost like a message coming through. You had to share one or two of those examples so our listeners can see the power of you know, listening to those dreams and, and not and making a note of them and then being able to join the dots. Sure, sure. Um, well, I, I do understand that um, if one is not necessarily, I'll, I'll share a few examples, some that are lucid dreaming and some that aren't. So um, if you are dreaming about similar subject matter, particularly something that is of um, maybe if you think of during waking life is of specific concern, um, like a, you know, like a troubled relationship or a conversation that might need to happen. Um, if we, if we bottle it up, we tend to have a propensity to dream about it. At least in my case, that's what I've experienced where it's like, oh, I'm not addressing this thing that needs to be talked about and I'm dreaming about it and in my case you know there was a um, there was a relationship that had kind of neared the end of its rope it was I guess it was long overdue um, and I ended up um, there was a few friends that had had kind of poked me and like oh something's up with you and I said, yeah, you're right. And I talked about it. And then I, I started writing about it. And then I started, I couldn't stop dreaming about it. it just, it, it was a consistent theme. And they weren't, they weren't uh, pleasant dreams. And so um, eventually one of the dreams included a, a dearly departed friend from my past. And they said, I said, Topher, you need to break up with her. And I woke up and I was like, oh my gosh. And so anyway, rapid transition happened shortly after that. And um, it, was, uh, it was very difficult, but I'm very thankful to, to have, uh, uh, you know, listen. I mean, it, at that point, it was kind of, you know, hit me over the head with literality. Um, but honestly, um, the messages were there much sooner. But that's just that's an example of how extreme it can get. Um, otherwise, with with lucid dreams, um, after uh, some of the experiences experiments included, well, how high can one fly? Um, so that's that can be very entertaining and fun. Um, can I just clarify there how high one can fly in a dream or metaphorically in life? Um, I was, I was referring to, uh, fly like with vertical al altitude <laughs> in the dream, but that is a that, but your, your second point would be a great question to ask 
in a dream of how fly can I fly in life? That's that's a that's a great question to ask. Other other things to say would be like, you know, show me something um, surprising. Um, or what should I be eating? Or um, in lucid dreams, it's there's fantastic things we can do, but it's also amazing to do the things that we do in our waking life that we love, but then try them in the dream space and see how, how we can do it there. Like meditate, for example, that can be a very powerful experience. Or one of my personal favorites is choosing to simply sit back and witness the dream unfold instead of choosing to do or exert force in any way, but to witness and see what happens because um, what transpires tends to follow a narrative arc that I would not have considered and is extremely satisfying once it gets to um, a seeming conclusion. And I feel like very well rested upon waking. There's like, it's, it's almost like there's a, a cherry on top every time I do that process of choosing to let go and watch and surf the wave of the dream while knowing it's a dream simultaneously. Mm. So what do you think, and I know there's a lot of research and studies around, but what's your experience and your thoughts of what's happening in that dream state? Where's that information coming from and what's its, what do you believe its purpose to be? Dreaming. Oh, gosh. 16, that's, years that's of recall, 16 years of recalling your dreams and, and making notes of them. Um, mm -hmm. what, have you, what have you discovered? And what's your belief around what, what this whole you know, state of consciousness, what's its purpose? Mm -hmm. Well, I think there's different flavors of dreams. And those, the, the metaphorical flavors may be coming from different places because sometimes they can be very mundane and mirror something that happened the day before or something we're thinking about for the next day. Uh, and sometimes they're much deeper. Uh, sometimes there's more emotional content that shows up um, as I was describing earlier, or maybe there's patterns that are reasserting themselves. Maybe there's some sort of, there's something that's trying to get attention that, that's seeking resolution. And sometimes there's incredible inspiration or um, uh, spaces that we could not have thought were even imaginable to experience. Um, and so I think it really depends on sort of which, which flavor for what, what is the content of said dream. Um, and I, I don't really hold on to any interpretation of very, very tightly um, because I've come across interpretations that range from exclusively neurologically materialistic to those that are, um, let's see, much more transcendental. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, I, don't, I don't have any value judgments um, about uh, collapsing uh, my understanding to any one of those. I think it's, it's kind of a yes and 
to uh, a mixture of sources. And so um, I think a def and I and I think that's helped me keep a curiosity and openness to what can transpire in the dreams. Um, a couple things come to mind that uh, I have found inspiring along the way. Um, Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep, I found very interesting. Um, and that focuses more about, more on the importance of sleep in general uh, and sleep hygiene, for example. Um, and then I'm actually in the midst of finally reading the Tibetan Yogas of Dream and Sleep, I believe it's called. Don't recall the author's name at the moment, but um, it is, um, I'm still going through it. So I, I can't, I can't make any comments just yet, but that, but, but that book definitely speaks a bit more to some of the more transcendental interpretations of, uh, of dreaming. I don't think I've ever come across anyone who has been recalling and writing down their dreams for as long as you have 16 years. That's, you know, that's some good data there. And while you're talking, you know, and I did ask that question around where you think this information may come from. And I don't know, I don't have the answers. Um, I have dreamed for as long as I can remember. I've never written them down. However, I've noticed that I've had um, reoccurring dreams that ended up being prophetic dreams, but I didn't realize until the event had happened that, oh, I dreamt about this for three or four years. Mm -hmm. And then that event happened in some form of way. So an example of that was when I was married in my 20s, I would have this reoccurring dream of landing in London and catching up with one of my friends. I'd mm -hmm. have that dream constantly. And I had no idea what that dream meant. I just would have it on a continual basis. Then when I, my marriage ended, my husband bought me a ticket to London and I ended up meeting that friend at the airport. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So that was happening right through my marriage. It was almost like, this is in your future. It was, and I don't know how that, how that happens. And there's also been another instance, which is not prophetic, but more, I don't even know if it's transcendental. I wouldn't know how to explain it when I was traveling for work and I was on the other side of Australia for work and my housemate who had been unwell had died that night and I dreamt she came to me in my dream and I that morning I woke up went to my boss who was in you know traveling with me and I said I think my housemate passed away last night she goes how do you know I said I think I'm going to get a call I'm pretty certain she died last night because she'd been battling cancer and yeah, sure enough, one of um, one of our mutual friends rang me within the hour and told me she had passed over during the night. So dreams, I don't know, but um, yeah, I've got a lot of information from them. Sometimes I don't know that they're prophetic and sometimes I wake up with a deep knowing that something has occurred or something's about yeah. to happen or whatever. It's amazing. And to meet and talk to someone who's been capturing those experiences for 16 years I think that's just uh, amazing one of the things you touched on then was around um, it's really interesting how we've gone down all these different rabbit holes with you um, we started off talking about creativity and tech and now we're going to dive into sleep because you mentioned sleep hygiene and you also mentioned that when you sort of stopped I'm going to just use the word substance as a sure. catch-all for everything when you stopped the substance yeah 
abuse or use, whatever you want yeah. to use, um, your REM sleep increased. And now you're talking about sleep hygiene. Can you expand on what you mean by sleep hygiene and what are some of the practices for those people who may be intrigued in, uh, they don't dream and they'd like to potentially create the opportunity for that to happen? Absolutely. Um, well, I think I'll, I'll start kind of from the, I'll go from the, from the dreams and then into the sleep, sleep hygiene. Um, so I'll start with some of the best practices for uh, dream recall. So upon waking, it's important to be as still as possible because generally the more new information that we are stimulated with, we tend to forget what we had just experienced. And so um, I tend to wake and stay still. I may open one, I tend to open one eye, as long as I can prevent myself from falling back asleep, whatever works for you. Uh, for me, I, I keep one eye open and one eye closed. And by keeping one eye closed, there's, there's a part of me that still is kind of tethered to the, um, the memory of the dreams. I find it a bit easier to tap into them. And so with one eye closed, I start to replay several times um, best as I can. And it may not necessarily be in order either, and that's okay. That can be reconstructed later. So um, I also don't, again, don't, I don't move around. So I don't make, make any grand gestures or, you know, rolling around. I wait to do that once I have um, satisfactorily recalled or replayed a number of times in my mind of um, what has just ex been experienced. Same thing with, with lights. So I don't, don't turn on any, any lights or open any blinds before this process is completed um, or until this process is complete. And then having some sort of documentation tool within arm's reach is very helpful. So I've done everything from written them, drawn them, voice recorded them, typed them. And my favorite is, has been going back to, to writing and sometimes drawing as well. Um, the, uh, I, think, I think the less digital tech in the mornings, the, the better anyway. And there's, uh, there's less uh, kind of filters uh, in front of our raw expression and writing and drawing seems to be the most direct ways there. So, so that's what comes to mind for um, dream recall tips. Um, and let's see, I'm actually admittedly referring right now to um, some, some short tips from Matthew Walker on sleep, sleep hygiene, because I think uh, he's got a, a great, great quick, quick list when it comes to um, basically preparing our body to be in the best situation for uh, both quality and quantity of sleep. So sticking to a schedule is, is important. Um, if we 
move too far from our circadian rhythm, then it can be it can affect our our sleep certainly. Um, you know, exercise is good, but if it's done too late in the day, that can also affect our metabolism in ways and that can adversely affect sleep. So um, generally, not not exercising um, in the two to three hours before bedtime. Um, let's see, avoiding caffeine and nicotine. You know, there's different amounts of caffeine and different things, but this also goes for um, of other substances, as I mentioned earlier, um, which goes into the next point, and, and that is avoiding alcoholic drinks before bed. This definitely can mess with our um, metabolism. So, you know, having a nightcap or uh, a beverage before sleep, it, it may help one relax, but there's a difference between sedation and sleep those are the brain waves from sedation are very different from sleep and the um, the rejuvenation that comes from the brain waves of of sleep is um, is not to be found in sedation <laughs> and so while there may be an appearance of uh, alcohol assisting with sleep it is um, when it comes to the What's actually happening in the brain with the EEGs, for example, it's it's a different story. Um, also, I had found personally, biofeedback-wise, that um, it would fragment my. It was more likely to fragment my sleep, where uh, having an alcoholic beverage would need to be, be be more likely to wake up in the middle night, middle of the night, and have trouble falling back asleep. And I know a number of other folks have reported similar experiences. Um, also avoiding large meals and beverages late at night. Again, that can mess with our metabolism and affect the, the onset of sleep. Um, also drinking too many fluids at night can cause frequent awakenings to urinate as well. Um, generally avoiding medicines that delay or disrupt our sleep. So there's some things like commonly prescribed heart, blood pressure, asthma medications, and some over-the-counter remedies for coughs, colds, they can disrupt the sleep patterns. So um, it may be good to speak with one's healthcare provider or pharmacist to, to see uh, if there's earlier times during the day to take care of those. Um, generally not taking naps too late. If you're going to take naps, I think naps are great, by the way. But taking them too late in the day, that can actually uh, reduce uh, the amount of sleep inertia that we build up over the day. And if you um, if you reduce it too much, then you can make falling asleep much more difficult. Um, temperature, um, taking a hot bath before bed can help. That's available to you uh, because the drop in body temperature after getting out of the bath can help you feel sleepy. Um, generally, there's I, ideally, there's a slight drop in your body temperature as you're, as you're falling um, so if you're able to take a hot bath, that's one way to kind of almost like biohack your way into that process. Um, having darkness, like a dark bedroom, um, ideally cool and ideally gadget-free. Um, any sort of distractions from sleep, such as noises, bright lights, and comfortable bed, etc. Um, and then two more is 
having right sunlight exposure. So daylight helps to regulate sleep patterns. So getting outside during the day is really helpful. And um, similarly, let's see, the last one is not to lie awake in bed. If you're having difficulty staying awake for more than 20 minutes, then go do something else, something that's more relaxing, especially if you're feeling anxious or worried about that. I've definitely experienced that. And sometimes like, okay, I'm just gonna go over to this other room and read this really boring book. <laughs> <laughs> I must admit, I've, I've done that too. I've, I've noticed that when, I, when I'm not sleeping, part of me just goes, just, I'll fall asleep, just, just hang in there. And then yeah. I'll check and it's been an hour later and I go, you should have just got up. Um, so now majority of the time I'll get up, make a nice, you know, relaxing tea and sit and drink that tea, read a book. Sometimes I might, depending, depending what's happening and why I'm not sleeping, sometimes I'm not sleeping because I'm getting a massive download of ideas. So I've just got to get up and write them down or get on my yeah. computer and enact them. Um, so I do that and my partner will then, he's an early bird, he'll get up at 4am and I'll be up because you couldn't sleep last. I said, no, I got this download and then I'd, he'd go off to work and then I'd just hop back into bed and then get myself up at the normal time, maybe have two hours sleep so that, yeah, and then get back into the rhythm of it. But they're really great hygiene tips. And I think for our listeners um, to really, if you don't already understand the importance of sleep, um, it is one of the, the greatest hacks for performance, for productivity, for creativity. Um, if you're getting the right amount of sleep, especially deep sleep and REM sleep, uh, you're primed for an amazing day. It just it helps you monitor, um, be able to really be in charge of your moods. You probably don't have as many moods. There's a lot of things that happen because we're getting good sleep and that importance of, because dreaming, dreaming happens in the REM sleep phase, I believe. Um, that's, that's where it, most of it happens. And that's yeah. where it, um, it's most easily rememberable and recallable. Um, but dreaming can happen in other states. Um, I'm actually uh, just now diving into a book called Liminal Dreaming by Jennifer Dumper, who is uh, also a, a dream, longtime uh, dream journaler and researcher. And she focuses on the liminal transitory states when we're falling asleep and also waking up. So respectively, those are known as the uh, hypnagogic state, falling asleep, or the hypnopompic state as we're waking back up. And she has explored the those edges um, for some time, and I'm excited to finally be reading about her explorations and the exercises to be found within. Yeah, awesome, awesome stuff. So one final question, and then I'll, I'll, there are some other questions, but one sort of final question around the dream space. Have you found that recalling your dreams, adjusting your sleep hygiene has had a positive impact on the results you're experiencing in your life? Yes. In what way? Yes. What's different? Um, mm, more energy, more clarity, more inspiration to draw from. I mean, there's there's definitely uh, there's there's more dots that are able to be connected for sure. Um, I mean, there's certainly projects and artworks that come directly from dream inspiration. Um, and 
gosh, in, in, in I, I think uh, one of the things that I, I, I had forgotten about this because it's been so long, it's just kind of integrated and has become more normalized in my life. But as I transitioned from relying on um, external or exogenous substances to dream work, it was like I had these, I was able to have these natural, almost psychedelic-like experiences every night. And, you know, as Salvador Dali said, uh, I am drugs. <laughs> and oh, I so, love that. And he was, he was definitely into, you know, dreams as inspiration for our work as, as well. So, um, yeah, there's, there's so much power from our, to be drawn from our own uh, physiological cycles that can then ripple out to the other parts of our life. Yeah. And we have to agree with Salvador Dali because, you know, we think about the chemistry and what's happening when we take things externally from us is they're mimicking what we already have in our own internal chemistry set within us. So absolutely, we are we are drugs. And I think what you're sharing with us is a beautiful tool to be able to tap into our own our own psychedelic supply without um, without without having to, you know, take something for that. So I think it's a beautiful a beautiful way for all of us, especially, you know, some of our listeners working in corporate space and so forth, looking for more inspiration. Well, how about getting some sleep um, and tapping into your dreams and finding how mm -hmm. you, you know, you'll find some, some solutions to some of the wicked problems you might be experiencing. I know that I um, personally, if I'm finding a challenge or something, I'll think about it and make sure it's the last thing I think about as I'm falling to sleep. And I know confidently that I will have, some resolution or solution or idea pop up uh, when I wake up, whether it's come from a dream or whatever. And I, like you, I wake up and I actually stay in, lying in bed for about 10 minutes. I don't, as I said, I don't write anything down, but I'm just letting whatever's happened just seep through when I get up and take inspired action. And that has come mm. from internal practice. So I love having this conversation with you. So we've done this beautiful sort of circle around creativity we've danced with virtual reality we've you know been using uh your creative skills to be able to you know be on the stage and bring light to the world and then we've gone into the dream space i really want to thank you for taking us on those those journeys those magical journeys actually is there anything that you would like to leave our listeners with from your experiences, either anything we've spoken about today or anything that's starting to bubble up now that you think, oh, I wouldn't have mind sharing this with everyone. Um, is there any sort of, I don't, I say this on every episode, I don't like using the word advice, but generally we can be inspired by other people's experiences. experiences. So is there anything you'd like to leave our listeners with today? Hmm. Well, actually, um, in the, the, the quote, virtual waiting room before our call started, I noticed you had a uh, uh, Abraham Maslow quote of the sacred is in the ordinary that is to be found in one's daily life, in one's neighbors, friends, and family, in one's backyard. And I think 
the the in one's backyard is what gets my attention um, because uh, in my personal experience, I know that when I was much younger, I was very intrigued in looking at the insects moving around on the ground and I would get down really close and, and take a very close look and you know get a little magnifying glass right here. Um, and <clears throat> that pain of close attention and directing my attention to these, these small details definitely played a role in being able to uh, visually express uh, a series of, of details later in life through, through artwork. And um, I think we're, you know, I'm a, I may be a professional artist, but I think honestly, we're all artists and that we all have the power to create. And it's, it's really more about giving ourselves the permission slip to do so. And it may not be visual art, it may not be music, but it, it may be something else. I know so many folks who, let's say, organize events or get people together. And it's almost like they're social collage artists, for example. It's all about, you know, reframing our perspective of what art is and what it can be and the power of imagination and creative spaces in general. So um, whenever someone says like, oh, I'm not an artist, I'm like, well, I ask them a few more questions and then we pretty quickly find out that actually there's, there, there are places in their life where they're absolutely engaging their creativity in a regular way. So, um, yeah, those are those are a few things that are that are coming to mind. I love that, and I have to I have to agree with you. Many years ago, um, people that I was working with, I was working in the finance industry, and most of the time, it's very not that there's a left and a right side of our brain, but very analytical um, people work there. And I was often here. I'm just like you. I'm not an artist, but people would say I'm not creative, and I'd look at them and go hell yeah you are can't you see how you're expressing things in a creative way you might be like you're saying you know somebody who's creating a social collage or somebody who's putting together a powerpoint presentation and nailing it every time or you know it's it, there's so many different ways or writing a, an email that just is so creative and in the way it's expressed so we forget that we actually are we are creators, it's innate with all of us. And I love that you've reminded everyone that on this call that we all have that within us. So you mentioned a PowerPoint presentation and it reminds me of a quote from the artist Jean-Michel Basquiat. He said, art is how we decorate space. Music is how we decorate time, end quote. And I think um, in some ways, presentations are another way to decorate time. <laughs> I love that. That's beautiful. I love that quote. So um, people who are listening, if you haven't got a pen on paper, rewind and write those down. And if you don't think you're creative, just see how you're spending your time and uh, yeah, see what you're doing out there because you probably are tapping into your creative spirit. So Tofa, if somebody wants to get hold of you to explore anything we've spoken about today or to find out where you're performing, uh, what's the best way for them to find you? 
So you can go to my website at topher.sipes.com. That's T-O-P-H-E-R-S-I-P as in Paul, E-S.com. Topher is short for Christopher. Uh, you can also follow me at Instagram. That is, my tag is at Topher underscore Sipes. That's probably the most um, consistent place that I that I post all of my all of my artwork, whether it's a finished work or experiments that are in, in progress. I'm currently working on a mural with my partner Sarah, and so there's a lot of updates on what we're doing there. And uh, email me at topersipes at gmail.com. Beautiful. Well, thank you. And please, if you're feeling called or feeling the need, reach out to Topher. And for those that are watching on YouTube, the image behind Topher at the moment is one of his designs. It's absolutely stunning. And um, so is that done in virtual reality? Partially, yes. Yes, actually, the, the Lotus right here, that yep. was created in virtual reality. And then the rest of the 3D world was created on a desktop. And then, um, and then I ended up digitally drawing on top of all of it uh, with my iPad. So it's a mixture of uh, virtual sculpting, digital sculpting, and digital drawing. Look at the, the world we're entering into, virtual creativity and art, artistic endeavours. Thank you so much for your time, Topher. It's been an absolute delight. And I really hope we've piqued some people's interest around their own creativity, but also the power and the possibility that's held in, in their dreams. So thank you so much. You're very welcome, Georgia. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Topher as much as I did. Since we record this episode, Topher has gone on to do his world first performance uh, with virtual reality interpretation of the Houston Symphony Orchestra. And I had the pleasure of uh, tuning into the live stream of this and it was absolutely fascinating to see Topher on the stage doing exactly what he said, being that dancing paintbrush, making sculptures of light. And it was truly a beautiful experience. If you are curious to see the end result of Topher's artwork, uh, with his permission, we have added a clip of his artwork from that show at the end of this podcast. So if you're watching on YouTube, stay tuned and you'll get to see that see him in action. If you're listening in, um, I invite you to go to the show notes and click on the link and make your way to the YouTube link where you'll see the two-minute video of Topher's work. And if not, stay tuned because you'll get to hear the Houston Symphony Orchestra and little snippets of music as well. Thank you once again for tuning in and please enjoy Topher's talents.
day is turning into the most curious adventure I have ever had.